Coming to you from the Sunshine State, this is Create Brand Envy, a podcast dedicated to entrepreneurs and business owners discussing businesses, marketing, leadership, and best practices in this ever-changing business landscape. Every week, we'll introduce you to a different business leader that has taken their company to new heights despite the odds. Learn, engage, and thrive. This is Create Brand Envy. And now your host, President and CEO of Brand Envy, Nicole Alisea. Today's topic will be about sales. Sales is something that I grew up with in my household. My stepmom was a medical device sales person. My father was an insurance salesperson. I remember riding in the car with my dad on the way to school, on the way from school, And he always had audio tapes in his car for Tony Robbins and honestly, other Ram Dass, I think just other people that it was always about professional development and self-development and all around me at home, we had books like The Greatest Salesman in the World and um, many others, which to be honest, they're just kind of slipping my mind right now. But um, I'm particularly fond of this episode because it has to do with sales. And the reason why I came up with this topic is because sales is something that is supremely important. And yet over the years, I've noticed people have an attitude towards the word salesperson. You know, they're afraid. They don't really want to be identified as a salesperson. They think it's a bad word. It's a, it's a word that's gotten a bad rap over the years. And in this episode, um, I'm sitting down with a subject matter expert and together we decode what's going on and and some best practices that I hope if sales is something that you know you need to improve in your organization, um, I hope that you find this episode useful. But before I dive into that, I want to read one chapter from the book, The Greatest Salesman in the World by Og Mandino. The premise is um, not novel, or at least I, I, I feel like I've seen the premise, you know, r- repeated. It's basically some somebody, you know, comes across some scrolls and each scroll, um, you're instructed to read it every day for 30 days so that you can kind of adopt these mindsets and mentalities. When people talk about a salesperson or think about a salesperson, they often think of that, hi there, little lady, you know, what can I help you with? You know, that sleazy car salesperson trying to sell you something that you don't need. And I'm always really, again, shocked and taken back by that that mindset regarding sales, because to me, what I'm about to read, this is what sales is really and always has been about. So um, I'm reading, it's uh, chapter nine. Um, it's actually the scroll marked two. Uh, the first one is basically saying, you know, today, today's a new day. I'm a new person. I'm going to shed, you know, my old skin and I'm going to um, be a success. So it's very uh, uh, self-affirming. But scroll marked two is the one that I want to share with you. I will greet this day with love in my heart, for this is the greatest secret of success in all ventures. Muscle can split a shield and even destroy life. But only the unseen power of love can open the hearts of men. And until I master this art, I will remain no more than a peddler in the marketplace. I will make love my greatest weapon and none on whom I call can defend against its force. My reasoning they may counter, 
My speech they may distrust. My apparel they may disapprove. My face they may reject. And even my bargains may cause them suspicion. Yet my love will melt all hearts, liken to the sun whose rays soften the coldest clay. I will greet this day with love in my heart. And how will I do this? Henceforth, I will look on all things with love, and I will be born again. I will love the sun, for it warms my bones. Yet I will love the rain, for it cleanses my spirit. I will love the light, for it shows me the way. Yet I will love the darkness, for it shows me the stars. I will welcome happiness, for it enlarges my heart. Yet I will endure sadness, for it opens my soul. I will acknowledge rewards, for they are my due. Yet I will welcome obstacles, for they are my challenge. I will greet this day with love in my heart. And how will I speak? I will laud mine enemies, and they will become friends. I will encourage my friends, and they will become brothers. Always will I dig for reasons to applaud. Never will I scratch for excuses to gossip. When I am tempted to criticize, I will bite on my tongue. And when I am moved to praise, I will shout it from the roofs. Is it not so that birds, the wind, the sea, and all nature speaks with the music of praise for their creator? Cannot I speak with the same music to his children? Henceforth, I will remember the secret and it will change my life. I will greet this day with love in my heart. And how will I act? I will love all manners of men, for each has qualities to be admired, even though they be hidden. With love, I will tear down the wall of suspicion and hate, which they have built around their hearts. And in its place, I will build bridges so that my love may enter their souls. I will love the ambitious, for they can inspire me. I will love the failures, for they can teach me. I will love the kings, for they are but human. I will love the meek, for they are divine. I will love the rich, for they are yet lonely. I will love the poor, for they are so many. I will love the young, for the faith they hold. I will love the old, for the wisdom they share. I will love the beautiful, for their eyes of sadness. I will love the ugly for their souls of peace. I will greet this day with love in my heart. But how will I react to the actions of others? With love. For just as love is my weapon to open the hearts of men, love is also my shield to repulse the arrows of hate and the spears of anger. Adversity and discouragement will beat against my new shield and become the softest of reins. My shield will protect me in the marketplace and sustain me when I am alone. It will uplift me in moments of despair, yet it will calm me in times of exultation. It will become stronger and more protective with use until one day I will cast it aside and walk unencumbered among all manners of men. And when I do, my name will be raised high on the pyramid of life. I will greet this day with love in my heart. And how will I confront each whom I meet? In only one way. In silence and to myself, I will address him and say, I love you. Though spoken in silence, these words will shine in my eyes, unwrinkle my brow, 
bring a smile to my lips and echo in my voice and his heart will be opened. And who is there who will say nay to my goods when his heart feels my love? I will greet this day with love in my heart. And most of all, I will love myself. For when I do, I will zealously inspect all things which enter my body, my mind, my soul, and my heart. Never will I overindulge the requests of my flesh. Rather, I will cherish my body with cleanliness and moderation. Never will I allow my mind to be attracted to evil and despair. Rather, I will uplift it with the knowledge and wisdom of the ages. Never will I allow my soul to become complacent and satisfied. Rather, I will feed it with meditation and prayer. Never will I allow my heart to become small and bitter. Rather, I will share it and it will grow and warm the earth. I will greet this day with love in my heart. Henceforth, I will love all mankind. From this moment, all hate is let from my veins, for I have not time to hate, only time to love. From this moment, I take the first step required to become a man among men. With love, I will increase my sales a hundredfold and become a great salesman. If I have no other qualities, I can succeed with love alone. Without it, I will fail, though I possess all the knowledge and skills of the world. I will greet this day with love and I will succeed. Notice that there's no talk of sales techniques. There's no notice no, no talk of, of nothing technical. This is about an attitude and a mindset. And I, I really like this book. It helps, it helps you get into the right frame of mind for sales. Um, but it also applies to other things in your life because um, like I'm going to mention ahead in, in, in the episode, sales is absolutely everything. It's negotiating with your spouse. It's arranging, making plans. Just you're always, you're always selling. You're always uh, persuading. You're always convincing. You're always trying to come up with good solutions, which is um, the big point that Jim makes that, you know, good, good sales, my, Jim, my guest, good salespeople um, come up with solutions. It's a, it's a wonderful profession and a very important duty that we have towards our customers to provide them with solutions to the problems that they're having and to genuinely be of service. I hope you enjoy this episode. Now on to today's interview. Hello, and welcome to another episode of the Create Brand Envy podcast. In this episode, we're going to break the stigma of the sleazy salesperson, and we're sharing best practices if you're looking to hire top performing salespeople for your business or organization. If you're on the hunt for your next sales superstar, today's conversation is going to gift you with some life-altering insights into the wonderful world of professional sales. My guest for this topic is none other than the remarkable Jim Marshall from Sandler Training of Tampa Bay. Jim Marshall is an award-winning trainer and corporate coach and the owner and president of Sandler Training of Tampa Bay. If you need help with sales management, sales coaching, sales training, and improved client retention, Jim Marshall is the go-to person in the Tampa Bay area market and has been for 21 years now. Jim, thanks so much for taking time out of your busy schedule to share some of your specialized knowledge with us today. Glad to be here. I reached out to you because I am constantly floored by how many people 
do not know how to handle themselves in a sales conversation. I've had so many interactions where um, people just vomit information and they don't ask me any questions about what I'm trying to get accomplished. They don't set that next appointment to move the sales forward. They just literally botch it. And I've sat back over the years and wondered why, why is sales such a bad word? There's, there's just like this pervasive stereotype that being a salesperson is icky and gross. And I've actually seen, I've witnessed people much to my shock and surprise, uh, brag about how I'm just not a salesy type person. Like that's just not me. I'm just not pushy salesperson. Ew. And I'm always standing there and I'm always looking at them going, why are you bragging about that? Like you should, like you are missing out on so many things. You're missing out on, in my opinion, sales is everything from negotiating with your toddler, negotiating with your spouse, uh, you know, making plans with friends, uh, getting the car that you want, getting the the job and the raise that you want, um, you know, getting the business deals that you want, accomplishing all of your dreams. To me, it's the, sales is everything. And I think that people are really shortchanging themselves when uh, they adopt this awful stereotype that I don't even know where it came from because they're just missing out on a lot of opportunities. And ultimately what that's creating for the business owner that's trying to grow their organization is is a landscape where it's unbelievably difficult for them to find good salespeople because people don't take pride in the profession of sales. I know I do. I, I take pride in the professional sales, but many people don't. And so I was hoping to sit down with you and crack your brain open and have you share with us um, some of your insights and knowledge to help empower that business owner that is trying to hire a salesperson and needs to know what to look for to hire and develop a really good salesperson for their team, but also for like that casual person who just maybe they're a solopreneur and they need to really hone their sales skills, help them fall in love again with the of with the wonderful world of sales, which opens doors to so many opportunities in their lives. Well, all right, so let's talk about that. Let's talk about this thing called the stigma of sales, all right? Um, how many people do you know that grew up thinking to themselves, I really want to be a salesperson? I did. <laughs> Maybe. Well, all right. So let's. now you have a daughter. Mm-hmm. How old is your daughter? Four. Four. So think of it this time. When was the last time you were putting your daughter to bed? And I don't know what your bedtime ritual is, but let's suppose that um, you have a nice tender moment with your daughter. What's your daughter's name? Victoria. Victoria. Okay. So you're having a nice tender moment with Victoria and you read a bedtime story and you're tucking her in and you, it's a very, very tender, tender mother daughter moment and you're stroking her hair. She's ready to pass out and you're saying, Victoria, I love you so much. I want to do whatever I can to make you a success in life. I want to give you the finest things and the greatest education. I want you to grow up to be a salesperson. When's the last time you had that conversation? Well, 
Now you might be e- unusual. Every, everything <laughs> up until everything up until salesperson is actually accurate. Yes. I literally will stroke her hair and literally like impart sure. on her all these like you know I want you to you know this and that and I, everything you just I'm like why is he has he been standing in my room like what is happening, um, but 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 I. I, I still, I still, I see, I don't know, maybe it's because I came from a family of salespeople. Mm. Maybe that's why my mom, my stepmom was in, um, uh, medical device sales. Right. My father, um, w- was an insurance salesman. Um, mm-hmm. growing up, um, I had, you know, um, Ogmandino's the greatest salesman in the world sure. all around. Um, maybe I was just overexposed to it, but I always, I always have recognized sales as, as the profession. I mean, sure. it's again, well, I just, you, you apply for sales, but mm-hmm. I know what you're saying. You're, you're, you're saying that other pro- professions are more promoted, like sure. a firefighter and a nurse. And I want to be a doctor and I want to be a lawyer. Like, right. I understand that. I understand that. I, I don't think that that's why people, I, I think that people have had negative experiences with unsophisticated salespeople. Well, that's it. That's it. And, and, and it's, it's become a, dirty thing. Well, that's why I think sales needs a PR campaign. That's why there's this stigma. It's nothing that you or I have done wrong. It's all the salespeople that have walked the face of the earth before us that give the industry a bad name, that give the business a bad name in terms of how they act with customers and prospects. They don't have any training. They don't have any abilities that they have developed down through time. They tend to alienate people simply because they don't have the education and the training to do it. Mm -hmm. That's what gives sales a bad name. I mean, think of the number of bad salespeople that have called on you down through the years. Now, rest my case. That's what gives the industry a bad name. And a lot of times what happens is people end up getting into sales on their way to doing something else. Well, I really do want to be an attorney, but until I can get my law degree, I'm going to go out and sell something. Or I'm going to study to be a doctor sometime, or I'm going to be a business owner. I'm going to go into sales. So they don't view it as an end. They view it as a means to an end. This is just something that I have to do to get to where I'm going. Yeah. So there's not a lot of people out there that really devote the time and the effort and the energy to be a professional salesperson to the extent that you talk about. Exactly. Which, to you know, which again, to me, it's like, um, I don't know. You can't say you're going to be a car mechanic and then just kind of wing it and call yourself a mechanic. Well, you can. You're not going to be a very good mechanic. <laughs> well, exactly. Then you're right. just not a very good salesperson. Anyways, right. so what um, what makes a good salesperson, what separates a, a horrible salesperson, the bad one that nobody wants to be associated with, from like a good, like the good, high quality, professionally trained one? Boy, that's, that's a loaded question. There's so much to that. I think I would start here. Self-awareness. Are you aware of what you do well and what you don't do well? What do you bring to the table? Do you know what you're good at, what you're not good at? Not in terms of product knowledge or industry knowledge or company knowledge. I'm talking about how you communicate with others. Do you have the ability to recognize communication styles of others and how to adjust accordingly? Do you understand what motivators are to get people to do business with you? Are you perceptive enough to work on that skill? You know, a lot of salespeople, they just show up and they figure if they got the gift of gab, they can go out and sell anything. Not the case. And I ask this question all the time. Are good salespeople born 
or are they made? I think they're made. Absolutely they're made. Just because you've got the gift of gab doesn't mean you know how to sell. You can have a conversation with somebody. You can have a beer at the bar. They might like you. That doesn't mean you can sell anything. You might sell them one time, but repeated business where you're nurturing a relationship, probably not going to happen. Yeah. So really what it boils down to is um, self-awareness, yes. understanding what your competencies are, understanding what you're good at, mm -hmm. and understanding where you might need some work. Right. And developing a, a process. And I, that's what you guys do over at the Sandler sales training. And, and mm -hmm. I've adopted a lot of the um, sales techniques that you guys teach. Um, you mentioned a little earlier, the upfront contract. I had right. forgotten about that, but I actually do that in almost every presentation and not just when I'm selling, just even when I'm recapping stuff to clients, I'll, you know, I'll be like, Hey, you know, we're mm. going to do a, a monthly recap and see how all of your advertising performed. And by the end of this call, you know, by the end of this meeting, I'm going to ask you to make a decision. Right. <laughs> but I'm selling. I'm, sure. I'm always selling. And that's where I kind of go circle back mm -hmm. to like this is a, a profession I think people should learn to, to love. Well, and, and, you know, you talk about sales systems and sales processes and there's a hundred of them out there. You can buy a book. You can do, you know what, anything you do to grow your skill set is going to be a plus. And we talk about the sales system that we believe in and that we teach and we practice every single day, there are no bad sales systems out there if it's better than what you're doing now. And I think that if we had to boil it down to, to what makes good salespeople, there's a lot of things that go into that. But what we teach people, I mean, we've got thousands and thousands of hours of content that we train people on. But I can boil it down to two words. Very, very simple words. Behavior and communication. Behavior and communication. Good salespeople, I want to know, what are you doing every day activity-wise to get in front of new customers and prospects? And number two, how effectively are you communicating with them? That's it. That's it. If you can solve those two riddles, if you can answer those two things, we can make you a good salesperson. But if you don't have the behavior, if you're not doing the activity, and you don't know how to communicate properly, I like to say you're going to raise skinny kids. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Exactly. When we had uh, spoken earlier, you had mentioned that there's two different types of sales. There's transactional sales, and then there's consult, con consult consultative sales. Consultative yeah. sales. Mm -hmm. That's one of the words I butcher. <laughs> yeah. Can you explain the difference just, just to kind of set the, the stage? Well, there's actually more than that, but those are the two main buckets. Transactional sales is exactly what the name implies. It's a transaction. A customer needs a new cell phone, okay? They know what they want. They're going to go into the store. They might hop on the internet. They'll see what they want. And they're going to buy it. Consultative. Hang on. If I'm a, if I'm a business owner right. and my product or service is transactional, mm -hmm. I don't really need a professionally trained salesperson to do that because that is – you also mentioned um, RFPs. Like if somebody needs to just just receive an RFP, read through it, write all the paperwork, provide all of the requirements, and submit the bid, that's also not what we're talking about. No, that no. You don't really no. need a professionally trained salesperson no. for that. That is That could be an admin-type role. Well, even in transactional uh, entry sales, level. even in transactional sales, you need to have some basic communication skills. you got to know what questions to ask. you got to know what kind of discovery you they're going to train you on product knowledge about this phone, what makes it different from all other phones. They're going to train you on all that. 
in a transactional framework, if you will. Sure. Consultative is where the customer, the prospect, has some sort of problem they're trying to solve, and they don't really know what to do about it. The analogy I use sometimes is um, suppose you have some sort of an illness, and you don't know what it is. You're feeling run down. Maybe you've got some aches and pains. Maybe there's some recurring uh, problem that you have. You can't put your finger on it. What do you do? You go to a doctor. They ask you questions. They do a consult. They dig down in terms of in terms of discovering what that problem is. Transactional. I got a headache. I'm going to CVS. I'm getting a bottle of aspirin, and I'm done. Consultative is helping a customer identify a problem and coming up with a solution to that problem. And the customer might not even know what the problem is. Right. Your job is to walk them through that process. And you guys um, teach a, a method where you build rapport. Can you walk me through, like, the, you know, build rapport, find out the questions? Well, in, in its simplest form, a sales process should include three basic steps. There's a lot of sub-steps to it, but three basic steps. Number one is I've got to establish a relationship with the customer or the prospect. I have to establish a relationship setting the ground rules for the engagement, for the conversation. Step number two is qualifying the prospect. Is the prospect qualified to do business with me as a business owner, as a salesperson? Not the other way around. Salespeople spend way too much time jumping up and down, doing the dog and pony show, putting on their best face, hoping that the customer will like them or the prospect will like them. Wrong approach. It's got to be the other way around. The salesperson has to qualify the customer or the prospect. How often do we chase customers and prospects that are not qualified not to do qualified. business with us? And we qualify people by asking questions. Well, there's a, lot, there's a lot of questions that we ask. There's a lot of discovery that we do. And the third step is not closing. We call it fulfillment. Because if you qualify the prospect properly, mm -hmm. they will tell you. Right what you need to know to earn their business. Yep. And all I've got to do is say, here it is. Yeah, you know, um, typical sales process, you think that, okay, I got an appointment, I'm going to make a big, I'm going to make this presentation, this long PowerPoint presentation that I'm going to present to the client, and I've got all these things I need to tell them about my product and service. And there's all this, like, prep work. And then the salesperson shows up at the meeting, and they're just, like, presenting and showing and this and this and this and this. And then it's just kind of like, so do you want to buy? Right. And you're right. That is absolutely the wrong approach. Um, that was a lot of work mm -hmm. and it was wasted and you missed all the marks. It's the, the, the alternative, the correct thing is actually the easiest, which is the preparation that you should do should be just kind of researching what you can about the client before you, you show up just so that you're not a fish out of water. You have some context. Then when you show up, you come prepared to listen and ask questions. Ask questions, yeah. And that's easier. You don't have to mm. really do a lot of work except listen. Be, right. be a good listener. And I've learned to when somebody ex, ex shares something with me that they need or want, I'll I'll um, just regurgitate back to them what they just said. Right. Uh, just to kind of make sure that we're clear, we're on the mm. same page. I didn't misunderstand them, and it also lets them know I'm really listening to you. I, I right. I'm, I'm I'm really understanding where you're at. 
Right. And then that puts me in a position of power later when I go present the solutions to them. Right. I can always tie back to, remember when we were chatting and you said to me mm-hmm. that you feel that, 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 and that's, you think that that's the reason why you're not making enough sales. This, this product or this solution is going to address that for right. you. Okay. So this need will be met with this product. Da, mm-hmm. da, 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 da. And, and that's how you sell that. That's it. And, and, and it starts with listening, not vomiting on with, people. Well, even before <laughs> then it starts with pre-call prep. What kind of research do we do? Not necessarily on the customer or the prospect, but on the industry. So in other words, let's suppose for the sake of discussion that I am calling on you. Mm-hmm. You own a marketing company. Mm-hmm. I know nothing about your business, nothing about you, other than the fact you own a marketing company. What kind of prep would I do? I would walk in and say, Nicole, thanks for taking the time to see me today. Um, we would do, you mentioned the upfront contract. We would set the rules of engagement. I would say, Nicole, you and I haven't had a chance to meet before and talk about your business, but typically what I find in the marketing industry is that they have several issues and challenges that we hear about on a fairly regular basis. They have a problem attracting new clients. They have a problem getting clients to commit once they present a solution to those clients. They have difficulty fulfilling all of the requests that the client has after the fact. That was not part of the original agreement. I don't know if you're having any of those problems in your business. Those are the kind of things that we might help you with. Yep. And then that opens the door for me to be able to just kind of fill in and let you into Spill my world. Your guts. Spill, Spill your the guts. Spill the guts. And just, uh, you know, quick timeout. You, you've, you've said two words that I know what they mean and you know what they mean, but I think the average person does not know what you're talking about. So you said upfront contract. What is an upfront contract? Okay. What does it sound like? Mm-hmm. So people can recognize that when they hear it. An upfront contract is designed to do a couple of different things. Is designed, first and foremost, it allows the salesperson to take control of the conversation rather than the customer or the prospect. How often do you walk into a customer's office and say, all right, show me what you got? And now all of a sudden they go into presentation mode. So an upfront contract is designed to set the rules of engagement with the customer, where what I'm doing is I'm simply making sure that we're both on the same page. Why are we here? What's the purpose of the meeting? How much time are we going to have? How often have you walked into a meeting with a customer and you expect 30 or 60 minutes and the customer says, hey, I got another meeting coming up in 10 minutes. Can we make it quick? Taking care of that. What does the customer hope to get out of the meeting? What's their agenda? What's your agenda as the salesperson? What do you hope to get out of the meeting and what's the outcome going to be? And what that's designed to do is prevent the bane of all salespeople. Let me think it over. Call me back next week. In which case they disappear. You'll never get them again. Right. So it's setting the agenda that at the end of the meeting, one of a couple different things are going to happen. Mm-hmm. Either, yes, we're going to go forward. Mm-hmm. I don't know what that means yet. No, we're not a fit. Or there's going to be some sort of a clear next step, a right. future action. Yes. That's it. Yeah. That probably, since you brought it up, of all of the approaches in a sales process, that's probably the one that can make more difference than anybody than anything we teach, Mm -hmm. if you can get that down. Salespeople are not accustomed to doing that, though. Why is that? Because it's awkward. It's it's a very awkward interaction. Salespeople are used to being subservient. 
They're used to letting the customer or the client be in charge of the meeting. I have to take a back seat to the customer. The customer's always right. Three words, you got to write them down, you got to remember them. Equal business stature. Salespeople and customers have to be on the same page, and the salesperson in particular, they have to believe that they enjoy equal business stature with the customer. Yeah, because, oh, there's a lot of abusive buyers out there. Oh, gosh. So yeah. many abusive buyers. I, don't, I haven't met any, but here there are. <laughs> there are so many abusive buyers. <laughs> um, in our call, you talked about a seven-step sales process. Right. Have we pretty much discussed it already? Yeah, or? we did. That, well, those seven steps fall within the three major buckets, if you will. There's a lot of detail that goes into each of those. Yeah. But... Establishing a relationship is number one. Qualifying or disqualifying the prospect is number two. Fulfillment is number three. Okay. That's it. Those are like the three major Those are the major three bu- major. Buckets. Yeah. yeah, if you can get those three down. And then there's ways to get to each of those end results, if you will. Very good. Yeah. And then, you know, speaking of other mistakes that salespeople make, uh, a lot of salespeople are looking for yeses. They're like, I'm going to go out there and mm-hmm. get a yes. And you advocate going out and looking for no's. Yeah, my feeling is that in the long run, you will make more money quicker the more no's you get than the more yeses you get. Because you think about it. If you can't get a no, the customer's going to say what? Let me think it over. Mm-hmm. And you're going to be chasing so and time. chasing and chasing and chasing. If it's a no, let's just shake hands, agree that it's a no. I'll see you later. Yep. That's it. Yeah. Um, you talked earlier about how important it is uh, that people have the right, that salespeople have the right behavior mm-hmm. of pursuing new business opportunities. Right. Can you share with us some of today's best practices for creating that, those new business opportunities and hunting for new clients? Well, they have to figure out what it's going to take to fill their prospecting pipeline. What do they need to do? How many people do they get in front of? How many net new conversations do they have to have? How many referrals and introductions? It's so different today than when I started in sales simply because we've got so many more resources available. The internet, we've got artificial intelligence, LinkedIn. We've got so much more today. You know, we talk about in the old days, when we started, we were making cold calls and we were doing all that other book. kind of stuff. The phone. Here's the yellow pages. Here's the yellow page. That first day of your sales yeah. job. Here's a phone and here's a phone book and a desk. And go get and, it. And, yeah. uh, and by the way, I, I yeah. better not see you at, at the desk. Yeah, you better exactly. be out there. Yeah. Uh, you know, in today's environment, today's business environment, you should never have to make a cold call. Ever. There's too many resources out there. And everybody knows somebody. Hell, walking in here today. We know six people in common. Right. I mean, why should you ever make a cold call? You don't have to. Right. You don't have to. And you mentioned, um, you know, we all know that repeat business and referral is the best business there is. And you yes. have to make sure that you're referable. What, what, do you, what can you do to control uh, receiving referrals to grow your own business or book a business or company? Um, here's one. It's kind of revolutionary. Ask for them. Right, but also that? yes, uh, ask for them. But also, like you have to make sure right. that you're referable, you or, sure you're like referable. you know that you're exactly yeah. that you're quality. Are you trustworthy? 
Do you follow through? Do you deliver on your commitments? Do you under-promise and over-deliver? Do you provide value outside of the product or service that you sold? I'll give you a case in point. Um, one of my clients that I've had for a number of years, the company has grown tenfold since I've started working with them. But uh, they ran into a problem with a disgruntled employee. And uh, the employee was, had a, filed a, some sort of a, uh, a grievance against them, and they were going to court. The company got so big so quick, they didn't have any resources. They didn't know where to turn for a, an employment lawyer to fight this case. They never had to. So all of a sudden, I'm sitting in the CEO's office, and he says, I got this problem. I happen to know some people that are in the employment law business. They have a couple of big agencies here in town, a couple of big firms. I referred them in. I did the introduction. We got together for lunch. We talked about it. That was not in my scope of work. That was not something that I was obligated to do. But that now provides value. So are you a trusted advisor or are you a schlepper? Right. That's one of the things you got to think about. <laughs> um, when it comes to hiring salespeople, hiring is difficult, period. Uh, but one of the things that you showed with me that I, I found insightful, that I knew, I knew it. It was just a reminder that there's all these assessments out there that you can take to help you uncover what makes a person tick. Right. We often think of how do we motivate a salesperson and we immediately go to, oh, let's just give him more money, more bonuses, more medals. And your research has found that uh, money and medals aren't exactly the number one motivator no, for not. top salespeople. So can you share some insights as to what, 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 what's the DNA of a, of a really top level salesperson and how can we find them? Well, before we go there, can we talk about the elephant in the room for a second? Sure. The elephant in the room is how a lot of business owners feel and refer to how they regard their sales team. Okay. I, That's the elephant in the to room. Me, so let's let's hear it. That's the elephant in the room because most not well. I'm not even going to put a percentage. Let's just say there's a lot of business owners that view their sales department as a necessary evil. All right, they're willing to spend the time and the effort and the resources bringing in top quality IT people or perhaps accounting you know, the, the bookkeeping staff and all this stuff. Salespeople are replaceable commodities. Let's hire this person, and if they don't work out, I'll get somebody else in 30 days. It's because they don't know what they're doing. They don't know what to well, they look for. they don't know for. what they're doing, but they also don't understand that their salespeople, their sales department, is the primary revenue driver for the business. If business isn't coming in, yes. guess what? They're out of business. Correct. But I think that they, I, I don't think that they're hiring correctly because right. uh, they don't know what to look for. They don't right. understand. It's, it's kind of a, a little bit of right. a different animal type thing. Correct. Um, and I think that they are just, they have such a bad taste in their mouth mm -hmm. from being so disappointed. Right. Because when I think of your generic run of the mill client talking mm -hmm. about their generic run of the mill sales team, all I hear is, Oh, they're just full of excuses. Right. You know, they came in making big promises of great contacts and da da da, and all they've all they've given me is excuses and excuses as to why they won't hit right. their numbers, um, or or how we're failing internally delivering the product or service, and that's why they can't, 
you know, do their numbers or that they need a sales presentation or that they need better collateral and they're just full of excuses. And so they just kind of just get, they just have a bad taste in their mouth for the whole department. It's frustrating. And it's just because they don't understand it. They don't understand the process. It's a process like anything else. It's a process. Most business owners, and I will use the word most, the way they bring salespeople on board the approach is what I call ready, hire, hope. I have an opening. I got to bring somebody on board. I'm ready to hire them. This person is the least objectionable prospect. I've got all these candidates. This one is the least objectionable. This one sucks the least. I'm going to bring them on board and hope to hell they work out. That's their approach. They don't have a process. Mm -hmm. So if you're bringing on salespeople, whether you're starting up a new staff or replacing somebody, First and foremost is you have to come up with a hiring template, Mm -hmm. a hiring template. What are you looking for? What are going to be the responsibilities of this person? How are we going to determine if they're a success or not? Is it numbers? Is it quota? Is it share of market? What is it? Okay. They have to figure out what their ideal candidate looks like, and they have to hire to that candidate. You know, we're right in the middle of the baseball playoffs, Am I going to take a uh, am I going to take a, a starting pitcher and put him in left field? Am I going to put a catcher in third base? You got to figure out what is ideal for that position. I have to identify the skills and competencies that I'm looking for, and then hire to that. If you had to um, come up with a pretty rock solid advice for a business owner that needs to fill a sales um, role. What things are, again, just very elementary to, to help them sort through the muck and identify good salespeople? Okay. So when we talk about salespeople, I, I tend to put them in two categories. There are salespeople that can go out and do the job, all right, or claim they can do the job. But there's another group of salespeople that will go out and actually drive to an end result. I call them the top 10 percenters. Okay. Think of it, since we're talking about baseball, let's take a baseball analogy. There's a whole bunch of 220 and 230 hitters out there. I don't want 220. They serve a purpose. I'm looking for a 290 or a 300 hitter. That's what I want. Those are the top 10 percenters. And there is a different standard, a different work ethic for those top 10 percenters than there are for everybody else. Everybody else, they're going to be motivated by money. Maybe they'll get an offer. You try to hire one of them for 5000 bucks more than the guy down the street. He might come over until somebody else offers them another 5000 that they're gone. Those are the 230, 220 and 230 hitters, the top 10%ers. Money does not rank at the top of their priority list. You mentioned you know, money and medals and all that type of stuff. Top 10 percenters, and you've worked with some, I've worked with some, they've got a different set of motivators, and it's incumbent upon the business owner to understand what motivates the top 10%, whether they're current employees or somebody that you're trying to attract. So I got to understand the motivators, but I also have to understand the traits, the qualities, the skills, the competencies of the people that comprise that top 10%. And if you had to pick... The number one trait of a top performer, what do you think it would be? The number one trait. And we know this from years and years and years of research. 
I mean, I could guess, but... Take a guess. Self-awareness? I don't know. No, we talked about that. (laughs) Well, so in actuality, when we're looking at traits of salespeople, there's somewhere between 30 and 50 traits that we look at. And you mentioned the assessment process. We have a very involved assessment process. But in every one of those analyses, the number one trait of top producing sellers is goal orientation. Goal orientation. These are the people that they know where the mountain is, they're gonna conquer the mountain. Whether that mountain is quota, new logos, new accounts, maybe it's commission, whatever the case may be, they have a goal and they are laser focused and they will do whatever they have to do to attain that goal. Now, there are people in sales that don't necessarily have goal orientation. They show up, they go through the motions, they have a good day, they have a bad day, but at the end of the day, at the end of the week, at the end of the month, it'll all even out. We're not talking about those people. So there's a number of them that go into the goal orientation, ego, Drive and determination, uh, drive and determination, time wait, management. Wait, wait, wait. All You're those. going too fast through things that are too juicy. So, um, number one, how, how do I probe a candidate to see if they are goal orientated? <laughs> That's a problem. <laughs> That's a problem. Um, first of all. This is a big issue when you're hiring. You mentioned earlier that hiring salespeople is difficult. It's like trying to catch a grease pig. And you think about it, salespeople, how many people do you know, companies that you know that have hired what they thought was a superstar and they bombed, right? A bajillion examples are running through my mind. Well, yeah. I mean, they think they've hired um, Tom Cruise and they ended up with Tom Arnold. They thought they hired Marilyn Monroe. They ended up with Marilyn Manson. <laughs> okay? I don't know anybody that's good enough at an interview to really identify whether this person has the skills and the competencies to be a top performer. I can get an idea. I might like them. I've got to pop the hood and look under the hood and see what's there. Okay, and then you do that through your assessment. That's, that's where we do the assessment process because... <laughs> These things are so well-crafted and so designed. And there's a lot of them out on the marketplace that are really good. Mm -hmm. But if you're trying to hire particularly a salesperson without doing some sort of a competency and assessment, there's two kinds of assessments, competencies and personality. Okay. I recommend doing them both. Okay. But if you're trying to hire a salesperson without popping the hood and seeing what really makes this person tick. You're just throwing spaghetti at the wall. You're just throwing spaghetti at the wall. Exactly. Next, you said ego. Ego. What does, so are you saying that they these, have these a big not, ego these are not or in, they don't? These are not in rank order. Of these course. are like in the top five, all right? What I'm saying, ego, I'm not talking about somebody that's got a high impression of themselves. You know, they're puffing their chest out and everything. When I'm talking about ego, I'm talking about the ability to go in and see a customer and say, Mr. Customer, based on what you shared with me, This is what I'm understanding your problems are. I have solutions to some of those problems. I don't know if my solutions fit your problems, but we're pretty damn good at what we do. And if the problem is one that we can address, we're going to address it. It's got to be the self-confidence to go toe-to-toe with the decision maker right across the desk and look them in the eye and say, 
you need us and here's why. Right. And there's something that goes along with that. It has to do with um, what's right and what's wrong in terms of having those conversations with customers, okay? It is a sin, in my view, to sell something to a customer that doesn't need it. But it's also a sin to not sell something to a customer that needs it. I agree. And you've got to have the ability to make that determination. I think that you should you should take it deeply personal if a client purchases an inferior product or service. When you had the opportunity to present your solution mm-hmm. and, and your solution truly is superior, if they went with a competitor that was inferior, right. you did not do your job. And I feel like you should like that, like, Shame on you. Like well, that, yeah. that really, I mean, not, not to be like, you know, want to be all woke with the whole psychological, like, Oh, don't, you know, don't be harsh on yourself or whatever. It's not about that. It's about like, you should take a deeply, per- like that is a big fail on your part. Like that is part of your job to, if, if somebody one has time. a need that you, that one you time. can meet, meet it. One time. One time what? One time. I can take it personal one time, but I got to learn from that mm-hmm. and say, what did I do wrong? Mm-hmm. Okay. One of the things I believe is there's no such thing, there's no such thing as a bad prospect or customer. There's no such thing. There's only bad salespeople. The bad salespeople don't have the ability to discern and determine what constitutes a good prospect. They think that everybody's a prospect. Right. Oh my God, everybody needs what I got. Right. Bad salespeople don't have the ability to differentiate. Good salespeople have the ability to disqualify customers if they're not a fit. Right. They're not bad prospects. They might not be a good prospect for you, mm-hmm. but they're a good prospect for somebody else. Yep. you got to determine if they're a good prospect for you. So that person, you know, so we were talking about the, the qualities, you know, the ego, the goal-oriented, you have to be self-aware. Right. Um, uh, what other, what other, what are some, just give me two more, two more traits of a really good salesperson. Uh, drive. Drive and determination is one. Isn't that very similar to being goal-oriented? Maybe. Drive and determination has to do more with your ability to bounce back. Because face it, sales, we get rejected all the time. You're going to get 100 no's before you get a yes. Like resilience. Resilience. What's my ability to bounce back? And another one is time management. Mm. Time management. We all have the same number of hours in a day. 24 hours in a day, right? Why was Bill Gates able to make more of his time than you or I? Time management, which, by the way, is also prioritization, is what I'm doing today at this very moment in my workday, is this activity intended to put money in my pocket and my my company's pocket versus answering email? Or you doing know, a proposal. I'm getting a flashback of this uh, former coworker who would come up to me at my cubicle and just whine and whine and whine about how she was doing everything right and she didn't know why, but people would ghost her and just disappear. And she just wasn't hitting her numbers and she was on probation and da, 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 da. And I remember one day I just 
I slammed my hand on the desk and I said, so-and-so, like I can't say her name. I was like, so-and-so, how about you try, stop, why don't you stop whining about it and talking about it and just get on the phone and make more calls or meet with people, like just do something about it and stop talking about it. It was so annoying. Well, but then again, to be fair, they might not know how. They might not know how. And so let's circle back to, okay, so I'm a business owner. I've, you know, I've done the assessments. I've, I know exactly what type of sales. I respect my department mm-hmm. now, right? A little right. bit more, hopefully. And um, I know what traits to look for. Now I've onboarded this uh, sales person or sales team uh, that has good potential. Um, the next step is developing and continuing to invest in those salespeople. Back up. Back up. You haven't onboarded them yet. You've hired them. You haven't onboarded them. You've hired them. I've identified what I want. I got the best possible candidate. Now I've hired him. What's my onboarding process for that salesperson? You have to have an onboarding process. Unlike they used to have at the place where you and I used to work. (laughs) Where your onboarding process was go in that conference room and watch these videos, those old VHSs for two hours. Yeah, I watched a few. Yeah. That's not onboarding. I have to have a one-week, two-week, four-week, 90-day, 180-day onboarding process. What are they expected to do? What are they expected to master in the first 30, 60, 90 days, and how am I going to measure that? That's probably the biggest disconnect between developing good salespeople. They spend all this time and effort getting the right person on board. They bring them on board, and as you say, there's the yellow pages. Go after it. Mm -hmm. That's not onboarding. You have to have a very well-defined defined onboarding process for those people. And what does that onboarding process look like? Here, Learn about the product, learn about no, our organization. Product knowledge is the least important. It's the least important. I know a lot of successful salespeople that don't have an idea of how their widget works. But boy, they can go out and sell because they know how to ask questions. They know how to qualify and disqualify. They know how to come up with solutions. That's what they do. So the onboarding process is, what are they expected to master? What is their messaging to customers when they do get in front of a customer? That might be a new, that might be it. What is their behavioral structure? What is their activity every single day? Calls, dials, meetings, uh, referrals, whatever the case may be. You've got to lay all that stuff out. And there, there's a lot of resources out there that you can use but get a template and say, the best way is, what do I expect this person to know and be master of in each of those benchmarks? 30 days, 60 days, 90 days, whatever the case may be. Then along the way, I can do what's called, uh, the acronym that I use is ITNA, which is an Individual Training Needs Assessment. Because during that onboarding process, I get a much better feel of what they're really good at and where they might be struggling. I'll give you a great example. What's your elevator pitch? What's your 30-second commercial? What do you say when you do have an opportunity to get a customer on the phone and you now have less than a minute to engage that customer? What do you say when you walk in? Most people don't know. They don't know. Let me hear your elevator pitch. Let me hear your 30-second commercial. I might discover that they don't have a coherent one that is going to be compelling enough to engage people. 
that might be part of it. So individual training needs assessment, what specifically are they good at and where can I be of assistance? What can I train them up on? And if I got a room of 10 salespeople, if I got a room of three salespeople, everybody's training needs are gonna be different. Everybody's are gonna be different. I have to have the awareness to figure out what each of my people do well and where they can improve. That's what happens. You gotta be able to do that. Then I can get into designing training programs for each of my people, which goes back to establishing the relationship, qualifying, disqualifying, fulfillment, and closing. So if I was a, a business owner and I really need help with my sales department, I could contact Sandler Sales Training to help me hire people, uh, screen them, and then have continuous training uh, to help make sure that everybody is as sharp as they possibly can? Is that well, the you type can, of... you can contact a company like ours for a conversation because you know what? We're not right for everybody. There's some companies out there we can't help. That's a technique, by the way. Well, no. <laughs> there's some that we can't help. If the company is not willing to put forth the time, the energy, the effort, the resources to raising their game... We can't help them. That's another technique. Well, we can't. And, and that would not be ethical. That would not be ethical. Amen, I agree with that. I'm not going to take anybody's money in, or I'm not going to spend my time on people that just don't recognize that this is something that they need if they're not willing to put forth the effort. That's right. It's a waste of money. Once we have that meeting then we can figure out, do they want the help? Here's the idea, all right? Let's go back to the medical analogy, all right? And let's suppose that um, I happen to think we're pretty good at what we do, all right? But let's use the medical analogy. Let's suppose for years and years and years, after tons of research and thousands of man hours and millions of dollars, we discovered a cure for cancer. No one's ever had a cure for cancer before, ever. We finally came up with it. How do I feel? I want to go out and shout from the highest mountaintop. Hey, we developed a cure for cancer. We developed a cure for cancer. Who am I going to attract? Who's going to be interested? People that have cancer or people that know somebody that has cancer, friend, family member, loved one. If you don't have cancer, what are you going to say? That's nice. What time did the Bucks play on Sunday? So we can only help people that want to be helped, that have a need. If they don't have a need, no harm, no foul. Move on. Yeah, and that circles back to the beginning of this conversation about how Salespeople have a bad stigma. I think that part of what creates that, that negative image is that salesperson trying to sell you something that you don't need or want and being it's kind of unethical. pushy and in your face. And yeah. definitely um, agreed, these are not the most sophisticated salespeople. But to be fair, in any industry, there's unsophisticated, you know, unscrupulous people, mm -hmm. period. Right. In general. Well, if keeping the, uh, the medical school analogy... I've got a hundred 
students coming out of the uh, medical program at, at uh, USF. All right. What do they call the person in that graduating class that graduates number 100? Doctor. Doctor. You have an illness? Do you want to go see number 100 or do you want to see somebody in the top 10? There's a lot of salespeople out there that say they're salespeople. Okay. Are they in that top 10? And you know them and I know them. They're out there. But from a business ownership standpoint, we've got to be able to identify what that looks like, what that talks like, what that sounds like, what that person is made of. So, yeah, you're right. The sales, sales, the sales profession is, it gets a bad name when it is the world's most wonderful business because you have an opportunity to go out and dictate how much money you make. That's right. It's totally up to you. You want to make a lot? You want to make a little? What are you willing to put into it? And like I said, I, I think um, I'm, I, I have mixed feelings about Grant Cardone, <laughs> but he does have a book called Sell or Be Sold. And in it, he makes he makes the, the, the point that I just made uh, earlier, just mm -hmm. all of life is sales. There's sales everywhere at right. every corner. You're, you're either selling something or you're being sold on something. Right. Yeah, you're right. And Grant Cardone is is one of the masters. Um, He's very, very pushy, very, very aggressive. Very good at transactional <laughs> sales. Yeah. Grant Cardone is the guy that would show up at a football game with a stack of business cards, and when the team scores a touchdown, you throw them in the air and hope everybody picks one up. You know, you can yeah. do that if you want. That's not where the business is going these days. Yeah, and th and that's not the type of sale. I, I, I when I when I think when I self-identify as a professional salesperson, I I'm I've always been the consultative type sales, right. even in my role as a media salesperson, right. um, and now in my agency for sure. Um, it, it would never occur to me to try to sell somebody something that they don't need, right. because that would damage my my reputation, mm -hmm. and that ties into what you said about being referable. Like, am I a person of high integrity right. that can be counted on, that's trustworthy? Mm -hmm. And the minute that I do things that damage my reputation, I lower my chances of getting the best business source in the world, which right. is referrals and repeat business. That's like your you know, the lowest hanging fruit. It's like high closing ratio, uh, just, you know, the best type of uh, new business development. So question for you. Mm -hmm. How many uh, active or recently active clients do you have in your business? Currently? Currently either active or recently active in the last three, four years. Um, oh, three or four years. That's a horse of a different color. Uh, three or four years, uh, I would say 2025. Okay. But uh, currently active recently in the last year, I would say about 10, 11. So total 35, 40 over the last few years? Of clients? Cur currently active or recently active? Sure. Okay. I count on Maria for details like that. Okay. I have a team member that handles all of the <laughs> nitty gritty for me. Okay. Um, and how many conversations have you had? Let's see. Um, let's go with the month of September. How many conversations have you had with either clients, customers, 
prospects, face-to-face conversations, Zoom conversations, telephone, how many conversations would you guess you've had in the month of September? For a potential new business for development? For any, any, anybody. Oh, for, well. Anybody. Uh, I, I'm, remember that I, I interview people, right. I interview I software people. Okay, my calendar is booked that solid. Give if me a I, number. Uh, how many people am I talking to um, in, in the last month? Yeah, give me a number. <sighs> I probably have. You can just guess if you want. I'm going to guess 30 to 50 meetings a month. Okay. I am meeting back to back to back. But you've got meetings, but then you also have conversations. And with, and and, well, remember, I've got my Mm. team members. I have one-on-ones with each of my team members every week to see how they're doing. I'm overseeing Mm -hmm. projects. We're constantly looking at new technology, uh, you know, to to stack, to add or remove. So we're meeting with our our current vendors for some of the software that we're Mm -hmm. currently using. We're meeting for for potential ones. Um, I'm interviewing. I'm constantly interviewing. That's one of the things that... We're actually, I'm, I'm looking to schedule an HR uh, specialist uh, okay. because that, that's a huge, well, you talked about systems and sure. processes. Like I find myself being a little bit random with mm-hmm. um, hiring and interviewing. So right. I'm trying to rein that in so I can be more efficient with my time. But I mean, if you, if you include it all, and then there's new business mm-hmm. opportunities, uh, referrals, proposals that okay. we're putting together, pr- proposals that we're presenting. Okay. So this question is directed to you, and any other business owner that might be listening. Mm-hmm. If you take a look at the number of people that you've spoken to in the last 30 days, mm-hmm. face-to-face, phone, Zoom, whatever the case may be, put a number to that and then ask yourself this question. How many of those conversations, in how many of those conversations did I ask for a referral or an introduction? Zero. Putting my Wait, hand up stop. with a big stop. zero. Stop, stop. You said you've had 30 to 50 meetings. You've probably had two or three times that many conversations, and you have never asked, asked for a referral? referral? How much money have you potentially left on the table? I mean, when you put it that way, I think about it, and um, an awful lot. Actually, that's not true. That's not true. That's not true. I actually have – I was going to follow up with him mm. this morning. Uh, there was somebody that um, – was in, uh, somebody introduced me to them, did, did an e-introduction, met with him for coffee, and we discussed mm-hmm. business that we could share and introduce each other to. Right. And I introduced him to somebody, and he said that he had an opportunity, and they had an opportunity of somebody that needed a website right. and that he was going to connect me. And mm-hmm. I had in my notes to follow up with him today because I hadn't heard back. Okay. So, I mean, not total failure. So there's one. Just one. There's one. Maybe. So let's try an exercise. Wow. Real quick. Let's try an exercise. Shame on me. Let's suppose that over the course of a month, you ha- you talk to 50 people. Mm-hmm. I'm just going to pick a number at random. Mm-hmm. It's probably more like 100. But let's take 50. Sure. And suppose that of those 50 people, you ask 10 of them for a referral or an introduction. And of those 10, you might get five or six. But suppose out of those five or six, you can close one or two. Yeah, say no more. I'm sold already. And your average monthly revenue from one of your clients is $10,000. 
So you just automatically, just by that simple exercise, you've brought in an extra mm-hmm. hundred twenty, $150,000 into your business. If I remember to do it. And, and and by the way, this is not directed at your salespeople, yeah. Mr. O- business Owner, Mrs. Business. This is directed at you. Yeah. How many people do you know mm-hmm. that could potentially refer you into another opportunity? Everybody knows somebody. We have to keep the radar up. Mm-hmm. Now, part of that is that we have to make it easy we have to make it easy on those people to give us referrals. We have to teach them how to give us a referral or an introduction. Most people don't know how. People will ask for a referral and they'll say, well, let me think about it and I'll get back to you. And they sit waiting for the phone to ring. Well, they said they were going to get back to me. Doesn't happen. You have to facilitate the process. How? How? Well, that's what people hire us for. <laughs> teach them how to do that. But there's a right way and a wrong way. Most people do it the wrong way. So moving forward in my meetings, whenever I, I think it's appropriate, uh, based on who I'm speaking to, I'll make sure that I say, by the way, Jim, you're, you're familiar with what we're do, with what we do. We, you know, we're, in, in, we're a bilingual English and Spanish integrated mm. marketing communications agency. So right. we help clients with their branding, their marketing strategy, their website, their online presence. And we just put together comprehensive annual plans to help them execute their marketing and advertising correctly. Mm-hmm. Um, if you if you can think of your network of current friends and just colleagues, um, can you think of anybody that could benefit from uh, just having a cup of coffee with me and just kind of seeing if we're a good fit to work together? And I would say, Nicole, I'm not sure, but let me think about it and I'll get back to you next week. I appreciate it. Okay, we'll do. And then what? I can send you an email next week if I I haven't heard back from you? Then I disappear. You're just going to disappear on me. Then I disappear. All right. What's a better way to ask the question? What's a better way to ask the question? Well, how did you ask it? How did... I, I, I asked if, if, if you asked a closed ended question, I did close. Yes. Okay. What's a better way to ask a question? Open ended. Give me an open ended question. Let me help you out. Help me please. (laughs) Nicole. My guess is that over the course of a week, you probably run into a good number of business owners in town, people that you know what they do and they know what you do and that type of thing. Yes. We're getting right. the person to say yes. No, so, I'm not. I, yeah. I don't care if they say yes or no. No, no, no. But like you ask a question in right. a, in a way where the person is you, nodding their you head probably already. Know, you probably know, right? Yeah. You probably already, you, you probably yeah. know a few people. You've probably ran into a few people in town. As you think of people who, might be struggling with some of their marketing efforts. Maybe they're just not getting enough customers in the door. Maybe they're having difficulty reaching a bilingual market. Maybe they've noticed that um, their market share is dwindling a little bit, and they need to kind of kick that up a little bit. As you think about people that you know, who comes to mind? Very good. I like that. And and I can imagine the other person recalling conversations that they've had mm-hmm. with other people sure. where they were having those issues. Mm-hmm. And suddenly that person that I'm speaking to is actually really excited to make the introduction because right. they feel like they're just going to make this 
life-changing connection and they're going to help their friend. Sure. And I'm not asking, can you think of somebody? It's not like when you walk into a store, it's like, can I help you find something? Yeah. It's like, no, no, of course not. Right. Um, I'm actually asking you who comes to mind. Right. It's an assumptive. Who do you know? It's an, it's a, it's an assumptive right. question. I'm assuming that clearly, obviously you know somebody. Right. Who do you know? So who comes Nicole, to mind? Let me ask you a question. I want you to think of, you mentioned that you've got probably 20 active clients right now. Sure. I think you said something like that. I want you to think of three of your best clients. I don't want to know their business. First names only. Give me the first names of three of your top clients. Uh, Bill, Anthony, and Andrea. Bill, Anthony, and Andrea. Okay. Bill, Anthony, and Andrea. They're all current clients? Mm-hmm. Got a good relationship with them? Yeah. Okay. And you and I have known each other for a long time. When you think about Bill, Anthony, and Andrea, in the context of their business and what we do in my business, if you were to pick one, Bill, Anthony, or Andrea, that you think would be open to having a conversation with me, which one would you pick? Bill. Bill. That's interesting. I think Bill needs you. I never would have guessed Bill. I would have thought for sure you were going to say Andrea. Why? Why do you say Bill and not Andrea? Because Bill actually has a sales team. Andrea does not. What do you know about Bill's sales team? That they have a market that's ripe with opportunity. And I don't, I'm personally not sure if they see it. Really? And they should be hitting the phones and making meetings and be really mm. excited about coming into work every day. Okay. And I, 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 and I mean this genuinely, I, I'm not sure if they recognize how really? ripe the market is. And for when them. you've talked to them about this, what do they say? Um, I, I don't really have direct contact with the sales team. No, you talked to Bill about it though. Um, yeah, I mean, uh, he's, you know, working on it, you know, just, just there's only mm -hmm. so much they, they actually, you know, clients actually share with you. I, I got it. Okay. All right. How well do you know Bill? Pretty good. You've worked with them for a long time? Over 15 years. 15 years. Yeah. Okay. So in other words, if you were to pick up the phone and call Bill and suggest the three of us get together for coffee, what, oh, what, what right. would he say? He, he would say, yeah, especially if it's like, you know, we can get together at the Columbia, have lunch. So what did I do? You just created a meeting and an introduction. You were very much in control of the conversation to get me to say what you wanted me to say. Did I ask for your question? Did I ask for an introduction or a referral? <clears throat> Not outright. I mean, no. in a very indirect way. No. No. Who was selling who? I think that um, another thing that I kind of want to point out. Answer the question. Yeah, you you were you were selling. No, I was selling you. You were selling me on why I should get together with Bill. <laughs> yes. Um, one of the things that people get hung up with on this, what you just did, is that they're afraid of looking stupid. Elaborate. A lot of the questions that you asked me were kind of dumb. Of course they were. <laughs> and most people don't want to 
appear dumb, most people want to appear competent. And that's one of the things the Sandler uh, training um, taught me. I, mm. I, I remember I took that away. It's mm-hmm. yeah. I don't remember the phrase you used, but it basically never for me. I, the way I used it was uh, no offense to blondes, but d- don't be afraid to be the to act like the dumb blonde. Uh, and it's and called, and in our vernacular, it's called being a professional dummy. Yes, a professional dummy. Yes, and they teach this in law school. Mm-hmm. They teach this in psychology school. Yes. Never ask a question you don't know the answer to. Yes. And um, confusion, mm-hmm. to act confused. And how did I act confused? You asked me a few questions that I thought was kind of dumb. Well, wait a minute. But isn't that part you, of what makes a salesperson annoying? You picked Bill. Isn't that part of what makes a, a salesperson kind of annoying? Because in, in, in some ways you're kind of manipulating me. Did you feel manipulated? Um, I felt irritated when you asked me dumb questions. Really? Mm-hmm. A little irritated. Do I care? Oh, no. I know I know you don't care. Yes. Did I get the result I wanted? You sure did. Then what you do sure I care? Did. Here's one of the things that a lot of salespeople struggle with, and you hit the nail on the head. A lot of people are concerned with other people's opinion of them. All right? And my belief is that if you're going to be successful in sales, you have to make a choice. Here's your choice. You can make friends or you can make money. You can't do both. I can make friends after I make money, but if I'm reluctant to ask tough questions and draw information out of prospects for fear of what they're going to think of me, you're going to raise I'm gonna, skinny kids. I'm going to continue to raise skinny kids. <laughs> I'll have a lot of friends and no money. Yeah. When we, um, Brenda, I had her a few episodes ago, Brenda Terry. I don't know if you remember her. That's Mr. and Mrs. Terry's daughter. Who? Brenda. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that one. So uh, Brenda was really good with the, the bonding and rapport and the mm. being friendly and, right. you know, and then and 20-year-old Nicole was, you know, very ambitious and driven and very mechanical. And I remember I struggled with the friendliness because I would get to a meeting and I kind of wanted to like, what's going on with your business? Let's talk about mm-hmm. the proposal. Let's talk about this. Let's talk about, you know, so I was very mechanical. So Brenda and I made a good pair because she would come and just be like, hey, oh my God, I love my shoes. And she would just really like... And then I would just kind of like, uh, you know, take notes from her, mm-hmm. but just kind of ride along. And then, and then I would be watching the clock and I was very self-aware of like, mm-hmm. all right, this, if we don't get to business, this meeting's going to be all, you know, mm-hmm. sunshine and roses and we need to talk business. We came here for a reason. So then I would kind of right. grab the conversation and then Brenda would shut up and mm-hmm. I would go ahead and like do the, the business part. So there's, you, you've got to have a balance oh, of yeah. the two. Yeah. Well, here's, here's something else that salespeople struggle with. They struggle with trying to come across as being the expert. And nobody is an expert. Nobody is an expert. And one of the concepts that the salespeople that we work with struggle with initially is this concept of being what's called disarmingly honest. Mm-hmm. Disarmingly honest. Because when you think about it, what is it, one of the things that gives salespeople a bad name? They try to be the experts. They're not honest. They want to come across as knowing everything. If you don't know something, tell them you don't know something. I'll never forget one of my, uh, if I can share a real quick story with you. 
Because one of the things when you get to be old, you get a lot of stories. So one of my first sales jobs in the advertising business way back, I was calling on a buyer at an advertising agency. I'll never, ever forget her. Joan Yarnick. She's long gone. But she was the queen. And I'm a 24-year-old rep. And I'm selling this whole rack of stations. And I didn't know what the hell I... They gave me the largest advertising agency in town to call on. This kid went behind the ear. I mean, this is like throwing meat to the lions. And I just walked in one day and I, I had this huge, this huge budget, this huge presentation. And I walked into Joan and I said, I couldn't call her Joan. I didn't earn the right to call her Joan. I had to call her Mrs. Yarnick. I said, Mrs. Yarnick, listen, I'm here to present this stuff to you. To be honest, I don't know what makes sense to you and what doesn't make sense to you. Why don't you tell me which of this makes sense? And I'll go with whatever you say. The relationship got off on the right foot. I was telling her, I didn't know anything. I don't know what I'm supposed to sell you. I don't know what you want to buy. Why don't you tell me? You've forgotten more about this business than I'll ever know. Why don't you tell me? Change the relationship. But salespeople are afraid to do that. They got to go in and they got to do the soft shoe and they got to do the dog and pony show and, you know, <laughs> hope everybody likes me. Right. No, don't do that. Jim, I, I, I've found this to be enlightening and entertaining and funny and well, thank you so much. It doesn't matter what you and I think. It's what Fingers thinks. <laughs> what does Fingers think? Fingers, what do you think? He's asleep. <laughs> this has got to be like fingernails. This has got to be like bamboo shoots under fingernails for Fingers. Yes, probably. Sitting to listening to two salespeople. Talk about, talk shop. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. So he gets the Medal of Honor today. Thank you so much for coming, Jim. I appreciate it. Thank you for having me. I enjoyed it. And just, and real quick, I just, and I don't know if we should include this or not, but I didn't realize you were a cancer survivor. Yep. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, it is October, which is uh, right. Breast Cancer Awareness Month and the right. whole promotion about getting screened. Um, yes. So can, can you just briefly share your story and, and encourage yep. getting screened to yep. our listeners? Mm hmm. Because men are notorious for not wanting to go to the doctor. I was one of them. I was one of them. I, I don't yeah. know a single man mm -hmm. yet that is like, actually, maybe my brother, but he's a little hypochondriac. So it's a little, that's, you know, that's yeah. one off to the left. All right. Story, Jim. Um, I was diagnosed uh, with cancer back in, uh, I'm going back now to 2005. I'd been in the business for a couple of years and... Uh, just burning the candle at both ends and just starting to feel run down. And I finally noticed some symptoms of this particular form of cancer I had, which Hodgkin's lymphoma. And I noticed some symptoms and um, there, are, there are five very well-defined symptoms that you know that you've got something. And I had all five. So finally, duh, I go to the doctor, I get it checked out. And they said, yep, you're stage two. Um, so that was in November of 2005, December 2005. I started chemo, six months of chemo and radiation. And 20-some years later, here I am, or 18 years later, here I am. So the message there is, and you're exactly right, 
men particularly, there's so much that goes on that we're not aware of. Blood cancers, skin cancers, prostate cancers, there's all kinds of stuff that we don't know until it's too late. Mm -hmm. How much time does it take you to get screened? Just, just, just your annual preventative, once a year, visit your dermatologist. That's all you got to do. That's all you got to do. Go get your blood work. Mm -hmm. But we're bulletproof, though. We're bulletproof. That's never going to happen to me. Yeah. Is that like a psychological, cultural thing? Or is that like a you know, toxic masculinity thing? Yeah. Why, 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 why are men like that? We're the, we're the man of the house. We're the head of the family. We're all, bulletproof. All of the above. Yeah, all the above. Yeah, exactly. I'll never forget, I was on my, um, uh, I, I had gotten a, an MRI. It was on a Friday afternoon, and I couldn't figure out what it was. And my doctor said, listen, we've eliminated everything else. It's not uh, this, this, this. The only thing I can think of is this. we got to get the MRI. So we get the MRI, and I'll never forget, it's Friday afternoon, and I'm on my way back to the office. I don't know why, but I had a I had a doc I had a, a, a client appointment at three o'clock on a Friday afternoon at the office. What the hell was I thinking? I know. I'm like, but anyhow, so I'm on my way back to the office and my phone rings and it's the doctor. He said, Where are you going? I said, I'm going back to work. I got work to do. He says, Get your butt back here. We got problems. That's when it hits. That's when it hits. He said, Here's what it is. We found it. That was pretty impactful, pretty powerful. Yeah. Puts sure. everything else in perspective. Right away. Yeah. Very scary. So thank you for bringing that up. That, that would be my, uh, my public service announcement today. Get screened. If you want to get in touch with Jim Marshall, you can email him at jmarshall at sandler.com. You can also visit his website, www.jmarshall.sandler.com. Dot com, or you can call 813-287-1500. Make sure you hit subscribe so you can be notified of new episodes where we discuss business, marketing, and peek under the hood of successful companies to understand the leadership behind the organization and best practices for today's challenges. I'm your host, Nicole Alisea, founder and president of Brand Envy, an integrated global marketing communications firm based in sunny Tampa Bay. Learn more at createbrandenvy.com. Thanks for listening to Create Brand Envy. Be sure to subscribe wherever you heard this podcast so you never miss a future episode. Brand Envy is an integrated marketing and advertising agency that helps brands innovate while maintaining their focus and identity. To learn more or to get in touch with Nicole, visit createbrandnv.com. That's createbrand and the letters nv.com. We'll see you next time.